Good. So today uh, our theme is uh, detachment. And we're going to look at, we've spoken about that already, and we're going to look at uh, one of the texts uh, we've given you on the Upanishads, the Kata Upanishad, which I'll speak about and introduce a little later. Just, just a few words about detachment before we meditate. So, um, one could say that uh, detachment is one of the universal insights and cornerstones of the wisdom traditions, uh, some of which we are working with uh, this week, and looking at our experience of meditation, meditation as part of our life through these uh, wisdom traditions. So, detachment has, is an ambivalent word. Uh, it could sound negative, impersonal, cold, uh, self-protecting, alienating, I have to keep my distance. Uh, or it could mean uh, non-possessive, non-interfering. I'm here, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. And uh, I knew an old woman once, a uh, very, very old lady, and a very old friend of mine, who had many grandchildren, and she, the grandchildren would come to see her, of course, with all their problems, marital and otherwise, and, and uh, she would listen, she would discuss, but she would never give advice. And uh, the, more, the, more she, the, the less advice she gave, the, the more they came. And uh, giving advice is, is a very mixed, mixed blessing. I suppose it's like writing a prescription. Uh, you, you feel you're doing something if you give somebody a piece of advice or you give them a prescription, but um, she, would, she would just listen non-judgmentally but uh, with such attention and, and care and love that you know, they left uh, in a different state from what they arrived in and they um, I'm sure were much better able to handle their problems. So detachment has, can have either of these senses. I think uh, detachment in the positive sense is what we're looking at. Uh, that's the one that bears fruit. And it's the fruit of meditation. Certainly one of the gifts that meditation will, will give us. And the reason that it gives us this gift of, de of creative, compassionate, attentive detachment, non-possessive, non-controlling, is that this is precisely what we are practicing in the meditation. So you get what you put in. You get out what you put in. So the practice of the mantra, the practice of the, the daily stillness, the daily discipline, uh, is itself a detachment. We, what do we detach ourselves from? We detach ourselves from all the thousand, the ten thousand things that we could be doing to justify our existence, and we 
detach ourselves from this ceaseless flow of active existence in order to immerse ourselves, or to turn towards the experience of being, being which contains fullness. But when you are caught up in the flow of existence, buffeted by temptations, by distractions, by uh, a sense of obligation, a sense of incompleteness, uh, competitiveness, uh, all the things that drive us, when you're caught up in that, you may, in a very small area of your mind, say, yes, yes, meditation leads us into being, and being is fullness. Uh, but you say, yes, that's great, well, I can't do it now. <laughs> I have to wait till tomorrow when I've shortened my to-do list, which, of course, never gets shorter uh, until you get laid low by something. So... Uh, we have, that's why we need the whoosh every, every so often. And one of the main ways we get the whoosh that helps us to um, remember and sustain our, our practice and expand the uh, awareness of this experience of being throughout the day uh, is by meditating with others. I think it's as simple as that, really. Thus, meditating with other people is whoosh, um, grade one. So, so, meditation teaches us detachment. And, of course, in the actual interior practice of meditation, we are, that's precisely what we're doing throughout the, the, the time. We are detaching ourselves, we are adopting a detached position with regard to the flow of thought, anxiety, plans, memories, uh, and fantasies that are all jumbled up in our, in our mind, existential mind. So as these, this flow of 10,000 things, as the Tao calls it, uh, endlessly flows, we work at a stillness in the middle of the storm. In the reading yesterday, uh, that was the great symbol, stillness in the middle of the storm. And that stillness in the center of the storm is the way to calm the storm. If you don't have the stillness to calm the storm, then the storm will continue to rage in your mind, in your life. So, detachment in this sense is a work, a practice. Um, it sounds perhaps difficult and demanding, but actually, and it is in a way, but it is actually also delightful. We wouldn't do it unless we felt better after doing it. That's why we come back to meditation. Uh, that's, we only learn something through delight, through joy. And uh, even though we may struggle with the practice, uh, we, if the experience has really awakened, even briefly in us, that, um, that uh, propels us 
into, um, into a uh, regular practice or restarting when that practice is interrupted. So what about detachment then itself? It's not easy. When you are attached to something, whether it's something pleasant, desirable, something you really long for, aspire to, or whether it is something you really uh, hate or would like to be rid of, uh, an unpleasant experience, an unpleasant condition. Either way, you can become attached to something. So, detaching is a, a process where our attention moves from that which we are attached to, positive or negative, pleasant or painful, we'll see this in the uh, Upanishad when we read it, uh, we've seen it already a little bit in the, uh, in the Tao, when we can free ourselves from these controlling polarities of this is what I want and I'm going to go for it at any cost, totally attached to a, a plan or a desire or a possession, or I have to fight this and get rid of this. Uh, uh, detachment teaches us to let go. Not to destroy in the process, but to let go. It's a bit like weeding. You know, if you planted a herb garden as I did a few weeks ago, and I notice anybody wants to come and help me, they can. Uh, um, there's a lot of weeds there now. So I had to pick up the weeds uh, carefully so you don't, pick, you don't pull up the uh, herbs as well. Um, so it's, it's a gentle process. It's, it requires attention in itself. So it's not about going in there with a, <laughs> a flamethrower or an earth mover. It's a more delicate work, and that's exactly, of course, what meditation is, something quite delicate. It's like a fine operation. It's a fine, finely tuned um, operation. But, nevertheless, detachment can hurt. Even detachment from things that we find unpleasant, even that can actually hurt. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't, is what we often feel. And we all have a certain number of uh, characteristic de desires, obsessions, uh, compulsive uh, cycles of thought that we replay endlessly or replayed in our mind. And if we've nothing else to do, then we just replay them again, this old problem, this old anxiety. So it's another form of addiction. But uh, even to let go of the difficult things in life, which have become embedded, entrenched in us, uh, can be painful, because it is, in a sense, a death experience. Detachment teaches us a lot about death. Meditation 
teaches us a lot about death. And one of the fruits of meditation, I think, is that over time, your understanding of death, your, your feeling about death, your relationship to death uh, changes. And for example, I think you find that your fear of death, and some people are terrified of death. Um, in most of us, of course, that fear is, is subliminal. We've repressed it. They say it's our deepest repression, our fear of death. But now that doesn't mean to say that I, you know, I remember thinking about that once and thinking, oh, you know, I'm really quite happy about dying. If I was told I had to die um, soon, I think I could uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be too upset about it. Then I was on a plane. <laughs> and, and, and usually the plane sort of really started to shake and everybody started to laugh nervously and then, then they began to look quite serious and then it began to sort of, we thought it was nose diving for a bit, probably just hit a little pocket. So then I realized that you know, I'm not out of the fear of death. And, and Jesus, of course, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, shakes and trembles with the fear of death. So there's a, there's a simple, human, obvious biological anxiety about death, I'm sure, that we never fully get rid of until we face it in the last. People who've had near-death experiences, I think, have, all the ones I've met, have uh, pretty well lost their fear of death. And I think people who are dying at a certain point in the process, if they're being helped uh, uh, well as well, and if they feel connected with other people, then uh, they can go through that fear. I saw that in Father John, John Main. Uh, he went through that fear, it sort of hit him, and then he was over it. And then he just went into death very peacefully. So um, detachment itself is a, is a kind of death experience because death is a kind of detachment. Uh, a letting go of everything. Now, we may experience that through bereavement when someone we love dies. And that is, an, that is a, a letting go of everything. And any of us here have experienced that. When we go through it ourselves, that's the same thing, but we, we experience it from the other, our own point of view. Again, this is something we'll see described very subtly and beautifully in the Upanishad. But basically, detachment, I mean, death is a, a, a detachment from everything, a radical everything. That's why it's a, an event horizon and we don't see around the corner. We don't see beyond that event horizon. Um, John Main uh, spoke about this in his teaching on meditation when he said that meditation uh, is a, a preparation for what he called in the contemplative tradition often calls the first death which is the death of the ego, or the significant 
transcendence of the ego. And once we have gone through the first death, again we'll see this in the Upanishad, if we've gone through the first death, then the second death is a breeze. The second death has no power over us anymore. Why is that? Well, what is the first death? What dies in the first death? And why is meditation about taking us into this first death? Because uh, it is uh, a detachment from the normal, usual, egocentric way of being and seeing. So as long as we are centered in our ego and we see the world revolving uh, around us, then we will, um, we will be bound by the fears and the desires that <coughs> occupy the ego, what we saw in the temptation in the desert yesterday. We'll be bound by them. But if we can unhook from this egocentric view of ourselves and of the world, then uh, the ego is not destroyed, but it is put in its place. It no longer is the cart pulling the horse. And we get back to the right way of being, which is the horse being pulling the cart, or being coming before doing we saw yesterday. So this first death is, is, a, uh, is, is, the, is the, the result, cumulative, of a process of detachment at, at a very micro level that we, that we practice in each meditation and in each time we say the mantra. And each time we come back to the mantra, this is what we're doing. It's a micro process, but it actually uh, stimulates uh, a macro-level process. Meditation then shows us that death is not extinction, but part of life. That's a radical breakthrough in understanding, and I'm sure uh, in an understanding of what health means as well. Death is not the end of health, but death is part of life just a different part of it. And of course, in life we go through many deaths, uh, many losses, many letting goes. Some we're conscious of, some we, we struggle with, but, but do and, and choose. Others are forced upon us. Um, and does this give us the big answer to humanity's question, what happens after death? Yes and no. It doesn't give us the answer at the level at which the question is posed. Okay. But I went to a lecture in London a few months ago by a, I think he was a Dutch professor, who, a, a Dutch surgeon, who had noticed so many examples of people being conscious 
while under either, uh, not only under the under anesthetic, but conscious uh, after they had been pronounced clinically dead. And that this was such a phenomenon. He, he no religious, spiritual interest in it. It's just he was just interested in it, and uh, so. But even that, you know, what does that show? It just people just say that they were listening to the conversation among the doctors around the uh, around the operating table. So at that level, we can't we can't see or understand what is beyond the horizon of death. Uh, but there's a very strong probability that if we understand how much of our life is about dying, letting go, moving on, integrating what's happened and moving on to the next, so much of our life is this process, is this experience of death, and we survive. Not only do we survive, but we grow and expand through it with a little help from our friends. Then it's it's at least arguable that the biological death we go through is simply another kind of death, uh, which also leads to some expansion of being. But that's not that's speculative. Um, so so okay. So meditation then teaches us uh, detachment at a micro level, saying the mantra, letting go of our thoughts about dinner, thoughts about problems at work, our relationships, our fantasies. So it is a kind of a death experience, letting go of everything. And we let go of more and more. I think this is one of the reasons why we may start meditating quite enthusiastically, and then we, we want to have some kind of product some kind of result, uh, and maybe you will, your blood pressure or improved sleeping patterns or a general better sense of well-being in life and less stress. Okay, that's good. But uh, there's always the desire in us for something more. 